Well, if you haven't been um, with us for the past several weeks, you're joining us right in the middle of a, a challenging time at Go Church. Um, only unlike the challenges of the past couple of years, this challenge is self-inflicted. <laughs> we are challenging ourselves to become better believers, the essence of which is to become more like Christ. Specifically, we're dealing with our character as it's outlined in the first several verses of Second Peter. Some of us even signed a commitment that we would apply all diligence, as our text puts it, to becoming more like Jesus during this season. We've already talked about moral excellence, and last week, self-control. This morning, we will look at perseverance. Many people today seem to think it's possible to be a Christian without becoming like Christ. It's almost as if that part is optional. And I think partly as a result, it seems like almost everyone says they're a Christian. And while this is less true in the Pacific Northwest, I still hear it a lot from people who are mostly living their lives oblivious to Christ and totally disconnected from His church. Just looking around, it doesn't seem like most Christians are putting much effort into becoming like Christ. And see, saying you're a Christian while not becoming more like Christ is like saying you're a Democrat and then voting Republican every time. It's like saying you love Fords and then buying Chevys. It's like saying you're a Seahawks fan and wearing a 49ers jersey to church, okay? It's like, it's like saying you barbecue and then using a gas grill. <laughs> Heresy. In all seriousness, how many people who say they're a Christian more or less ignore the commands, teachings, and example of Christ? As I asked in the introduction to the series, how many who claim to be Christian live no differently than an atheist with a conscience? I do realize that none of us are perfect, but you are either an actual disciple of Jesus or you are not. And he is the one who said that his disciples would lay down their lives for his sake and for the sake of his gospel. Mark 8, 35. He said we would lay down our lives for him. Honestly, if you're not laying yourself down to become more like Jesus, maybe you shouldn't call yourself a Christian. I mean, really, we've confused the world with our mediocrity, have we not? We certainly have. A true Christian is a person who has accepted forgiveness and grace from God by faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. But a Christian is also a person who, because of that, is making every effort to follow the example and teachings of Jesus Christ. Anyone who has truly been saved also has a desire to heed the call of the Savior. You can't really believe the God of creation died for you and not be about the business of living your life for Him. There's just no way you, you can really believe the gospel and not be about following Jesus. Let me put it this way. Simply saying that you are a Christian does not make you one. True Christianity is radical. It's about following Jesus as you become more like Him. That's why we're looking at a passage of Scripture that lays out five specific character challenges for Christians, five challenges to become better believers. So the gauntlet has been thrown down by the Apostle Peter. 
Everyone who has been here this past month is either picking up that gauntlet, meaning they're accepting the challenge, or they're continuing to walk away. Like the rich young ruler, if you remember the story. Walking away because the challenge was just too much. And see, these are the only two options Jesus ever gave. Total commitment or total rejection. Basically, biblically, these are your options with Jesus. Commitment or rejection. Remember that. Let's read the text we've been studying again. This will be our fourth week on this passage. I hope it's getting under your skin, as it certainly is getting under mine. From 2 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature." having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. The most important foundational truth revealed in this passage is that there is a nexus point between the knowledge of God that is knowing him personally through Christ and the ability to display his character. I think it's even clear that the better we know Christ, the better we become uh, like him. In fact, there's how I, how I would summarize the central message of this passage is this. Getting to know God better helps us develop his virtues. And the really cool thing is that practicing these virtues also helps us get to know God better. That's the cycle we see in this passage. Getting to know God better helps us develop His virtues. And practicing these virtues helps us get to know God better. I think that some of you would testify, because I've been hearing things, that you have been experiencing this already. As we've been working through this season together, you have personally experienced this cycle working. You've sought a little harder after God, and as a result, you've made some real changes in your life. In making those changes, you feel closer to God. This truly is a wonderful cycle. If only everyone would try it. Today, we arrive at the third of the five Christ-like character traits that we will discuss. Perseverance. One thing that's clear in the gospel accounts is that Jesus knew he was going to die on the cross. He even knew when it would happen. He made many references to the nature of his coming death, and toward the end, he was putting a time frame on those predictions. How would you like to live your whole life knowing your main purpose is to be crucified at the age of 35, or 33? I know where I got 35, 33. Can you imagine 
the perseverance it would take to live through all life's challenges, knowing all along that things were going to end so badly? And you say, yeah, but Jesus also knew that he would be resurrected afterward. That's right. And so do we. Think about it. What if someone you knew, somehow you knew that a real cross was your fate in this life? That's where you were headed. That was the end game for you. What if you knew for sure that God's plan for you is to die a gruesome death for a greater purpose? That's, how, that, that's, that's what Jesus knew. If like him, you knew crucifixion was to be your end on this earth, what would your message be like? You know, how differently might you present the gospel? What would you do with your time and your resources? How would your words about God fit into today's popular Christianity? I thought God only wanted us to have the best. Isn't that what they say? How could there be death on a cross in the future for a faithful Christian? Ask Peter, who wrote our text. Early church historians tell us that Peter was eventually crucified upside down. He was a true disciple of Jesus. Maybe that's what following Jesus is supposed to look like. That's what it looked like for Peter. But that's not what we tell each other to prepare for in our churches today, is it? No, in fact, if there's difficulty in your life, according to popular Christianity, one of three things must be true. One, you have sinned horribly. Two, the devil is messing with you. Or three, you just don't have enough faith. That's pretty much what many of the most popular teachers are teaching, and some more subtly than others. What if someone had preached that message to Jesus? I think he would have laughed out loud. Jesus spent his whole life knowing the pinnacle of his time on earth would be crucifixion. He persevered through the rest of his trials, knowing the end would be even worse. Yet somehow Jesus faced the worst with joy. Yes, with joy. The Bible says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, people that died living the life surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance, perseverance, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured, persevered the cross despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured, persevered, such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Notice how the word endurance is used throughout those verses describing Jesus. In the original Greek language of the Bible, this is the same word used in our text today, translated as perseverance. In both cases, the Greek word is hypomone. Patient endurance to persevere or to endure through hardship. So in the passage I just read from Hebrews, we can see again that these character traits Peter chose to emphasize as goals for believers are also representative of the character of Christ. Our text for this series is a description of Jesus. And in Him, we are to be like Him. Hippomone, perseverance, patient endurance. Jesus is our perfect example in this character trait. He persevered through many things, but the worst trial Jesus had to endure was, of course, the cross. And what did Jesus find on the other side of the cross? On the other side of perseverance, resurrection, restoration, renewal, reward. Same here. Same for us. But again, 
only after perseverance. Right here at the beginning, I'm going to tell you the key to perseverance. The key is constantly remember that whatever you are having to endure is temporary. For Jesus, the temporary was suffering and dying on a cross. Most of the time for us, we're needing to persevere through something not quite that difficult, right? We need to let the example of Jesus inspire us. He endured the hard stuff in order to get to the good stuff. He made it through even with joy by looking beyond the suffering. But maybe some of you here today are too deep into difficulty to really even hear me right now. Maybe you're just done. (laughs) You're hanging on by your fingernails. Maybe all you can think about is the mess you're in. And the only way seems out, the only way out seems to be giving up. You don't want to persevere or endure. You just want to quit on your job, on your marriage, on your wayward child, maybe even on life. I think of that scene in Mission Impossible 2 where Tom Cruise is climbing on that cliff and he comes to a point where there are no more handholds. I realize not everyone has seen this, but I personally think it's one of the greatest movie scenes ever. As the camera pans out, you see that there's literally nothing for him to even grab onto from that point. There's nowhere to go. Just seems like there's no way up, no way down, no way out. And he's just hanging there. And you just, it seems like you'd just be hanging there until his strength fails. But then suddenly he spots a possibility They'll have to jump sideways to get there. And he makes this leap of faith to get to what amounts to a whole other set of possibilities. To me, the message of that scene is that if you can just keep hanging on, you'll eventually see a path forward, and then with faith, you can make it through. See, the problem with giving up is that you'll never know how close you were to the summit of the mountain. Our first summer here in the PNW, about 10 years ago, Christy and I um, hiked to the top of Mount St. Helens. Thankfully, God had knocked the top off, so it was a little bit shorter for us, but <laughs> we were not in great shape at the time, uh, and um, we got to the part that is really loose soil. Anybody? And, and it's very steep. Um, We almost turned back at that point. We almost gave up very near the top. I mean, it was one foot in front of the other until I didn't think I could take another step. Christy was struggling too, thankfully. (laughs) And I kept asking her if she needed to quit, secretly hoping she would, so that I could blame her for our failure to summit. But all 15 times I asked her, she said, no, just give me a second. She was just hanging on. And then we'd take a few more sluggish steps. Eventually, we made it to the top, and we realized exactly what we would have missed had we given up just moments before. Perseverance. It's underrated. You're probably dealing with something a whole lot more difficult than climbing a mountain. You don't believe this, that the end is in sight. You can't see that there is an end at all. You've simply not been able to find a way to fix things. But listen, what if rather than fixing it, 
God just wants you to endure it. And what if a victorious way through is closer than you think? What if help is on the way? Maybe you're only a reach or two away from relief, a step away from success, maybe just a breath away from a breakthrough. The Living Bible paraphrase of James 1-2 says, Is your life full of difficulties? Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has the chance to grow. Patience, same word. Hippomene. Perseverance. Endurance. Often all we can see are circumstances. And the only thing we can think about is how much we want those circumstances to change. Right? We just want it to end. We want things to get better. And that's understandable, but God's greatest desire is not to change our circumstances. The Bible tells us that God wants us to grow and to improve, to mold us into the image of His Son, which undoubtedly is to make us better, much better. Allowing difficult circumstances to remain for a time is one of God's greatest tools. Maybe that's hard to hear, but we need to get this. When all I want is for things to get better, sometimes all God wants is for me to get better. When all I want is for stuff to work out, sometimes God just wants some stuff to get worked out in my life. When I want my problems to be solved, sometimes God is wanting to solve the problems within me. Listen, when God sees an opportunity to develop Christ-like character in you and me, He takes advantage of it. This is His primary goal. Not to free us from difficulty, but to use difficulty to make us more like Jesus. Because here's the real truth in all of this. The only way for me to develop perseverance is to experience circumstances requiring perseverance. Folks, enduring is simply the only way for us to acquire endurance. Do you realize what this means? If God wants to make you like Jesus, and if a big part of His character is found in perseverance... And if the only way to develop that virtue is for you to experience circumstances that require it, then what is that going to mean? It means God won't always bail you out of difficulty right away. Sometimes He will even allow your trials to go on and on and on. Well, that's just great, Pastor. Thanks so much for the encouragement this Sunday morning. What am I supposed to do with this lovely information? Well, if you're not in the thick of it yet, you can... Get ready. You can learn to expect to be asked by God to persevere. You can be encouraged that perseverance is making you more like Jesus. Take it as a personal challenge, an expected part of being a disciple of Jesus, which also ensures eternity with Him in a place called heaven. Get ready. Don't be surprised when you're expected to persevere. Don't think God should have shielded you from difficulty. And when you're in the middle of it, try to find some measure of comfort in the fact that the God of the universe is working in your life, that He cares too much about you personally to leave you just as you are. Before I go on with this message, I'm going to sing a song that came out a few years ago. Many of you will probably know it. <clears throat> it just felt like as I was working on this sermon that Maybe this would help somebody. Hope it does. I'm going to use this one.
We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing. For prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear our spoken needs, you love us way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. And we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love. As if every promise from your word is not enough. And all the while you hear each desperate plea And long that we'd have faith to believe Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know your near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know this pain reminds this heart that this is not, this is not our home. come through raindrops what if your healing comes through tears and what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near what if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy and what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise?
Perseverance really can only come the hard way. There's no easy way to develop this particular Christ-like character trait. But thankfully, there are some biblical directives that can help us through these times. Let's talk briefly about three of them. First of all, we need to discover a bigger perspective. We've talked about this some already. The ability to persevere begins by changing the way we think about difficulty. People who endure are people who can shift their perspective or how they think about the worst events and circumstances of their lives. They learn to look at things with a bigger perspective. But it isn't only the big stuff that God uses to develop perseverance in us, is it? No, um, he uses small things too. Let me give you a list of just a few things that are hard for me to endure. These are the smaller areas that God uses to develop my own ability to persevere. Stickers that won't come off of new stuff. Anybody? I mean, come on now. The amount of um, money I spend on insurance, it's like betting against myself, which is not my MO. Warranties that are useless. Seatbelt alarms that cannot be shut off. Am I telling on myself today? People who tailgate, people who won't get out of my way. Weak coffee, weak coffee, near the top. Waiters or waitresses who think they are done after dropping off my food. People who want to keep trying to talk through a bad connection. Slow talkers, slow drivers, slow eaters, and people who are always late. This is just a partial list, you understand. But the Bible says a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. So when I swallow hard and persevere through these minor irritations and inconveniences, according to the Bible, I'm being wise. It is to my glory to overlook such an offense. So that's what I try to do. In all seriousness, when we persevere, rather than reacting, even to some small things like that, we can grow. And if you think about it, you know you have your own list. And of course, when these things begin to really get under your skin, who are you exclusively thinking about? Yourself. It's my time, my needs, my schedule, my hurts and pains, my status, my preference, my grievance, my beef, my way of doing things, and why isn't everybody else exactly like me? Perseverance requires a bigger, more unselfish Perspective. Remember, we're talking about Christ-like character traits. These are the virtues that Jesus demonstrated in his life. And Jesus was able to persevere precisely because he was unselfish. See, Jesus had a bigger perspective than his own little world. Just listen to what it says in Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Nobody's ever had to have a bigger perspective than Jesus. He had every right to say, wait just a minute here. Don't you know I've never done anything wrong? Ever? I made you people from dust, and now you're going to spit on me? 
I can't take any more of this. I give up. And he could have quit on us on so many points, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus persevered through it all. How? By understanding the purpose in his pain. By keeping a bigger perspective. And we need to do the same thing. Whether it's the small stuff or the big stuff, we need to discover a bigger perspective. We need to remember that God has a purpose and a plan in every difficulty or even in annoying circumstances that he allows us to go through. What if his blessings come through raindrops? <laughs> oh man, that has a special meaning for me during PNW winters which I will probably never get used to. Um, but what if his blessings come through tears and sleepless nights? What if my greatest disappointments and the aching of this life is a reminder of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? And what if the trials of this life are his mercies in disguise? That is a bigger perspective. We need to remember that our lives on this earth or but a breath, a passing vapor, as the Bible says, in comparison to an eternity with God in paradise. And so, as we're passing through, sometimes all we can do and all we need to do is hold on. God has a purpose in our pain. He is molding us into the image of His Son. The second idea that can help us with this challenge, maybe a little more unexpected, we need to develop a sense of humor. I'm convinced that many committed Christians... Um, many of you in this room do not have enough fun. You, I can't tell you. We have these membership classes, and every time I ask, you know, name, tell you name, what you do for your career, and maybe a hobby or something you enjoy doing, I'd say half of the people cannot say anything they enjoy doing. I don't have time. I just take care of the kids. Or I don't have time. I just work. Or whatever it is. That is sad. Come on. Get a life. We, we, we should be the funnest people on earth. We need to start finding fun in the chaos. We need to develop a sense of humor. The Bible says a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Some of us may not live very long. <laughs> Did you know that humor is an antidote to anxiety? Studies have shown that people who laugh actually live longer. Of course, studies have shown anything anybody ever wanted to show. But still, I think it makes sense that people with a sense of humor live longer, so I'll go ahead and believe that study. It's a little known fact that President Abraham Lincoln loved to laugh. He said he would have never made it through the Civil War if he hadn't handled the daily stresses with laughter. And that's fine in a way to laugh through some pretty serious things. You need to learn to laugh at things that irritate you. I like this quote from Rick Warren. He said, if you learn to laugh at your troubles, you'll always have plenty to laugh at. <laughs> Most of you know I um, planted a church, uh, the first church I planted back in Missouri, and um, I stayed it, or we, I should say, we, my wife and I planted it. We stayed there for 12 years. That church is still going strong, but in the early days, oh man, we had plenty of troubles. We started off meeting in a high school cafeteria, not unlike this, we met there for most of our first year from September 2002 through May of 2003. This was an exciting time of growth, blissful ignorance, and high hopes. We had done well and grown to over 100 people very quickly. However, at that point in the story, we lost the ability to continue meeting in the school. We were too big now for a house, 
and things got pretty desperate. At one point, I had counted something like 22 potential meeting locations that had uh, not worked out for one reason or another. Eventually, we were left with three or four weeks until we would be thrown out on the street, and we had nothing lined up, nowhere to go. I was left with a single possibility. There was this empty building in front of a strip mall. We used to joke that it looked like a blockbuster store. For those of you born yesterday, that was a place where you rented videos. <laughs> a video is, oh, never mind. <laughs> so this building was only a shell having never been leased or finished out. The problem was that they were asking thousands more per month than we could pay. I won't get into the amazing story of how God led us to take a leap of faith and lease that expensive space anyway, but that is what happened what I want to tell you about is how hard it was after we took that huge leap of faith. After the first Sunday of June, we had to be out of the school. We had already signed on the dotted line committing to lease this new building. And because it was, um, wasn't big enough for a children's ministry, we had actually leased another space. So it was even beside it. So it was even more expensive. Um, this was quite a commitment. Several of us uh, had to sign on the dotted line, you know, be a guarantor, myself included. We would have had to pay personally if the church didn't make it. Talk about pressure. We're talking um, several hundred, I think it was about $300,000 that we would have been uh, liable for. Part of the difficulty uh, came in the fact that the building wasn't finished, but they promised to get it done by a certain date. Guess what? It wasn't done by that date. We ran into issues with the city. Among other things, they required us to add $20,000 in heating and air conditioning, which we somehow did, but it took time, and that wasn't all that held us up. So we needed a miracle from God, but God's miracles never happen on our schedule. In the end, we had to face the reality that we had no place to meet for a while. Understand that we were not an established church full of committed people. We were near the end of year one. Everyone was still getting to know each other. When you're planting a church from scratch, people leave at the drop of a hat. If you have no place to meet, you're done. But we had no choice, so we had to let everyone know that our last Sunday at the school, that, that we would not be able to meet again for a, a month, for a few weeks. And we said we'd relaunch a month later on July 5th uh, at our new location. As I recall, we had 120 in attendance that last day in the school, which was great. Not even a year in, but I had to wonder if I would ever see most of them again. To advertise our relaunch, we put out thousands of mailers and door hangers, and we even had an article done on us in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I mean, the word was out. This new church was going to start in this new building on July 5th. It was going to happen. Everyone knew about it. Spent a lot of money so everyone would know about it. We really needed to grow, not just endure um, as we were, because we had no idea how we were going to pay for this thing at all. Um, so there was no time to lose momentum. As July 5th approached, I tried to make it clear to the city and the owners of the building, we needed to get the hoops jumped through so we could get in there since people would be coming, we hoped. But frankly, they could not have cared less. Are you surprised? Nothing worked. The city had issues with the building. The builder couldn't seem to get things done. When July 5th came, we were forced to have services in the parking lot. Anybody laughing? Yeah, it's okay. You can laugh. It's, I know it's a sad story, but you can laugh at me. It was literally 104 degrees literally 104, not all that uncommon in July in Missouri, but on the asphalt parking lot, it was a lot hotter than that. I did the preaching and the music back then, and I thought my guitar would melt to say nothing of me. Tuning was not happening, Connor. It did not happen. Our, brand, our band looked like we just jumped in a pool. Um, 
Christy had four layers of sunblock on, still burned. We had some small tents up for the people, a little shade for them, some fans to help for them. But the makeshift stage, a flatbed trailer, was in the direct sun. It was all certifi certifiably crazy. Yet even on that day, there were signs that God was with us, even with the weatherman saying, telling people to stay home. Literally, I mean, I'm watching the news on the Saturday before we say, stay home. I'm like, we're trying to launch a church here, weatherman. If I remember right, he was uh, actually the, 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 the parade that year in the town was, was canceled. It was such a heat wave. Still, some 98 people showed up and we worshiped right there in the parking lot. I even shortened my sermon, and I know that's the hardest thing to believe in all of this whole story, but it's true. <laughs> I heard that, Roland. I heard you laughing, and I'm, I'm going to mark that down in my book of remembrance. <clears throat> what was I to say to the crowd? Could I tell them the building would be done by next Sunday? Oh, no, not at all. Work on the inside still had not even begun because we weren't able to get the permits we needed. This thing was not even drywalled. So all I could do was pick another date and hope that it would be done by then. We picked the first Sunday in August. Y'all come back in a month. We didn't have public services for another month. How would we ever survive a fragile, as a fragile church plant? Oh, by the way, the idea of online church was not invented yet. No, really, not invented. Young people, I'm saying that social media and things like YouTube did not exist. Ah, oh, those were the days. So the first Sunday in August came. Do you think that the building was ready? No. no. In fact, nothing more had been done at all. At this point, I decided to drywall the thing myself in order to save time and money. Probably the stupidest thing that I've ever done in my life, which is saying a lot. August came, and though our main building wasn't ready, we were able to get into the tiny strip mall space that we had rented for the children's uh, group to meet in. We crammed in there and had a service. Preschoolers met in my parents' camper in the parking lot. Our children's ministry met outside. It was August in Missouri. How we made it through this time can only be attributed to the sovereignty of God, along with an extreme tenacity that is absolutely necessary for anyone wanting to plant a church. But you can put up with anything for a week or two, right? I mean, surely we're getting there. I told our preschool director that surely it would be no more than a month, no more than a few Sundays with the preschoolers in a camper. In reality, we crammed into that tiny space until halfway through October when we were finally able to get into that main building. By that time, we had declined. That's a hard thing to watch. Even some leaders left. We got down to about 50 people. Wrong direction. Instead of growing so that we would be able to pay the rent, we found ourselves on life support, barely making it through. Looking back, I can honestly laugh about it all now. For the sake of time, I haven't shared a million details that add to the comedy of errors that we experienced for about six months. It seems ob obvious to me now that God was rather enjoying the whole thing. He was behind it. See, I believe that. It was a test. It was a trial. He knew perfectly well that we would be all right in the end. And the truth is that we came out better for it. I probably grew up about 10 years in that one year, and I needed to grow up. I was very young. Our core members became closer. We endured together. And after that time, the church actually started growing very steadily until the next major series of difficulties hit, but I'll save that story for another time. God has a sense of humor, and he especially likes to use that humor when he's teaching us perseverance 
The Bible says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. I suppose that's a little out of context, but it still says what it says. God laughs. In spite of all the seriousness of God that we do see in Scripture and in spite of all that we have done that brings sadness to God, He still has a sense of humor. If God can laugh after everything He sees and He's seen happen on this planet, any of us can laugh. I really do believe God still has a sense of humor. After all, we do know that joy is a part of His nature. This means that if we want to be like God, we need to learn to have a sense of humor too because the one in heaven laughs. The fact is, life is very difficult, but it's also very funny. One tool for perseverance is focusing on the humor. The next time you're about to lose your patience, when you can't find the keys on your way to something important, someone rings the doorbell, the dog starts barking, the phone rings, the TV is on way too loud, and your two-year-old son walks up and presents you with his self-removed diaper, announcing, I pooped. (laughs) Yes, this happened. Don't lose your patience just sit down and have a good laugh. (laughs) Now, the reality is that a bigger perspective and a good uh, sense of humor can only go so far. The only way to really persevere through the worst stuff, especially, is to finally get to the point where you depend on God's power. Depend on God's power. The Apostle Paul prayed, may he strengthen you in his glorious might with ample power to meet whatever comes with fortitude, patience, Enjoy. Guess what the Greek word translated as fortitude there? Yep, it's hypomene again, perseverance. Hear me say that it's only through the strength of God that we can truly develop perseverance. See, we're back to the partnership again, applying all diligence to what God is already doing in our lives. We need to pray this prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians, for each other and for ourselves, asking that Christ will strengthen us in his glorious might and he'll give us the power to meet whatever comes with fortitude, with perseverance. Like everything else we've been talking about in this series, perseverance not merely an act of human willpower. Yes, there is our part, our application of diligence, but that's not where the power comes from. Let's go back to our main text yet again. And remember, who grants the ability to develop each of these Christ-like character traits? Verse 3 and 4, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. After this, Peter gets specific. And one of the things he mentions is perseverance. See, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you have the knowledge of Christ, in other words, you trusted in Him as your Savior and you're coming to know Him better, He has already given you the ability to persevere and He continues to give you that ability to the degree that you stay connected with Him. As a believer, perseverance is a virtue that is right there within you, just waiting to be fully developed. However, in order for perseverance to be fully developed, you will need to learn to depend on God's power especially when the biggest waves come crashing in. But how do we depend on God's power? I think of words like wait and trust and rest. And you know that verse that says, be still and know that He is God. We've talked about trying hard in this series, about making every effort and applying all diligence, but there is also a time to simply wait on God. There's a time to stop fixing and start trusting, to lay it down and ask God to pick it up. There's a time to stop trying so hard 
and start relying on God instead. Remember that poem called Footprints in the Sand? I know it became so popular that it's almost trite to some of us now, but there's a, there's a really good truth in there. That point where you realize that when there's only one set of footprints, that's because Jesus is carrying us. When we can't carry on, He carries us. Jesus does that. Now, I feel like He carried this church through COVID, you know? Anybody else? Can we just give God a a raised hand and, and testimony? Jesus did that. He carried us. I couldn't do it, so He did. I would love to take credit for great leadership or something like that, but no, I think Jesus carried this church through COVID like a mother carrying her baby out of a burning house. And we were a baby church. COVID hit, we were 17 months old. There's a time to run the race and there's a time to be carried. Of course, the trick is to know which time it is. But right now, just hear this. If you know Jesus, your effort is not always required. Wait, hadn't we been talking about our effort and, and, and our diligence? Yes, but sometimes when you can't, God just does his thing. Sometimes God can see that you have nothing left and that is when he will carry you through. When it's that kind of season in your life and you know it, you are truly depending on God's power. But we also need to depend on his power even as we make an effort, resting in the fact that regardless of our failures, God is going to get it done in his own timing and believing that is where we really need to get to when it comes to perseverance. This is like the deeper truth behind perseverance. If you haven't got anything else today, get this. We've talked about some practical things that you can do, but this is the deeper theology. And here it is. God carries his own across the finish line. Hear me today. Some of you have been trying almost too hard. If that's possible. And you need to hear this. The fact is that if your faith in Christ is real, which means that you are chosen, then listen and hear me today. You will persevere in Christ. God will make sure of that. And you can depend on Him to see you through. Many of you know these words, but let's be assured, reassured yet again today through one of the most encouraging passages in the Bible. Listen and remember just who it is that causes us to persevere from Romans 8. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. Hear the carrying? He's carrying. He also justified. These whom He justified, He also glorified, which hasn't even happened yet, but it's still spoken of in the present tense because that's how sure we are of it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's who's against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, now how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, difficulty, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him 
who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He carries us. Someday I will preach this passage here as I have elsewhere, and I know that some of you would love to see me try. Some of you get that. But for today, in case you somehow missed it, these words mean that God is going to carry you through to the end. As His chosen son or daughter, you can depend upon God to help you persevere, even if He needs to put you on His back at certain points or even in some ways at every point. As another verse says, you're held within the palm of His hand Nothing and no one can take you from him. If you're in his hands, that means he's carrying you. God will carry you through. In Christ, you will persevere. You will endure. That said, our primary text from today means that God wants to actually develop a character of perseverance in you and me, in this life, during our time on this earth. This will not be an easy process. It may be the most painfully acquired virtue out of the five we are discussing, but I hope you'll remember the three tips I gave you because these are biblical tools that can help to develop perseverance, discover a bigger perspective, develop a sense of humor, even about difficulty, and most importantly, learn to, to, to depend on God's power. I believe Jesus applied all three of those principles, enduring with joy. Let's pray that in Him we can too. Would you pray with me? Father, I don't know what anybody's going through today or what they might start having to go through tomorrow. But this message was here for us today for a reason. And you've spoken. You've spoken. And your words are the words of life. We trust in you. We don't have to worry. We can trust that you'll see us through even if this life is hard. Your word says that in this world, you even said, Jesus said himself, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, take courage. I've overcome the world. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Help us, Lord. Make us more like Jesus, even through the hard things. In his name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.